cross point. Again, the reading is from Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 9 through the end of the chapter. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I want to begin by saying a prayer. Um, one of our church members, uh, Hannah Walty, went to Italy this past week. Her mom, who we've prayed for before, has... Um, colon cancer and was diagnosed with it in April, and um, uh, her health has since declined, and even in the last week, it has declined rather significantly. And so Hannah and her family have all flown to Italy. They're church planters in Italy, um, and uh, God has used this family remarkably in the life of our church, and uh, this, this woman, Jeanette, he's used her in a powerful way. And um, Lee this morning said that they are in the valley of the shadow of death. And so if you would join me in praying for this uh, wonderful family of ours. Um, Father, we thank you. We thank you for life. We thank you that you are the author of life. We thank you that, God, you have given us days, you've given us breath, you've given us years, you've given us time. God, we recognize right now that it all belongs to you. And that, Lord, this dear sister of ours, Jeanette, God, we know, God, that you are a God who can move mighty miracles. And so we continue to pray while she has breath in her lungs that you would bring about healing. But, Lord, we also recognize that the greatest work is the work of salvation that you have already given her through your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that even while they're at her bedside now, they have hope beyond this life. And so, God, may there be a sweetness. God, may you give them a peace that surpasses all understanding. And would you, God, allow us, your church, to surround them with care and comfort, particularly Hannah, Jacob, and Bethany. We ask this in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ, and the church says together, amen. Amen. Thank you, church, for praying that with me. So this morning we wrap up our series in Ecclesiastes. Uh, we are in the 12th chapter. Uh, this is our 14th week in this rather strange book of the Bible. You know, I think God is only mentioned about six times in total in this book. And the word vanity is mentioned 38 times. If you want to know what vanity means, just look at the 
the, the artwork that Ruth drew here, you see the smoke and you see within the smoke these things like life and death and building and tearing down and embracing and refraining from embracing. If you read Ecclesiastes chapter three, you'll see that kind of played out, how God is a God that's over all time and how those things are here today and gone tomorrow. Like smoke, it slips through your fingers if you try to grab it. It's like a vapor's breath. And the longer you live, the more you realize that, yes, life is fleeting. And sometimes it feels futile. But it also causes us to beg the question, what really does matter? What does have meaning? What does have significance? And how can I be a part of that? And that's what the preacher has intended to drive forth through our hearts that we would know this. And so the, the last part of the, the passage, there's an urgency that I feel. Even as I'm up here preaching, there's a weight of this text. And the weight of this text is that if God is real, everything matters. If he's not, nothing matters. If God is real, everything matters. But if he's not, then... Man, it's just all here today and gone tomorrow, and there's no meaning, there's no significance, there's no purpose in it all. And the preacher has lived a life that is sought to find meaning and significance in things, what he says, under the sun. You read that repetitively in Ecclesiastes, under the sun, under the sun, under the sun, and he can't find it. Not in power, not in wealth, not in women, not in wisdom. He cannot find meaning and significance, but he can in his creator. That's why Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse one says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. So we think about the days of our youth and, uh, I was on uh, social media last week. There's these pictures that started showing up and you know, these people that are familiar faces, they start to look like old, you know, old fogies, so to speak, you know, just kidding. Um, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um, cause I, yeah, I, I, tried it myself. Um, we'll talk about that later. Um, but so the face app came about, right? And, and, you know, you see these pictures showing up and you're like, wow, how did that person age by 50 years? Um, and so that picture comes up and you're, uh, you look at that and you kind of wonder, um, I wonder what I'm going to look like, <laughs> right? And so then you read about the Russians that are going to steal your face and like plaster it on somebody else or billboards or something like that. But I was a little bit worried about that. So instead of trying my own face, I tried somebody else's. And so here, here's the face that I tried. There's Pastor Josiah. Um, <laughs> where, where is he, Josiah? I, I hate you. Look, look how good you look, even when you're 90. Gee whiz. And he's still like cool. He's still surfing. Man, crazy. And, and then there's me. And there's me. Ready? Put it up. There we go. That's me. Ironically, I look just like my grandfather from my, my mom's dad. <laughs> and I'm still rocking the y'all need Jesus shirt. So that's my goal. Life goals right there. You know, we, we're so, we, we, it's funny, it really is, but it also exposes some of the vanity of, of our world and our life. We're more concerned about what we'll look like than what we'll actually be like. Maybe the better question is, is rather than what will we look like, it's what am I becoming? Who am I becoming? 
That's the urgency that we feel in the book of Ecclesiastes. Who are you becoming? What's tomorrow going to do that's going to propel you in the days of old? Or maybe tomorrow's your last day. Who are you becoming? Author David Gibson says, one day you will come undone. God's curse of creation in response to the fall means time will see you unmade. Maybe it will happen without the help of old age. If it could come sooner rather than later, or it may not begin to show for another 30 years, but the preacher of Ecclesiastes is taking you by the hand and gently asking, before that day comes, how then will you live? I hope you feel that urgency. I hope I feel that urgency. Before that day comes, how then will you live? If God isn't real, nothing matters. If God is real, everything matters. I want us to look at this passage in three parts. We see that the preacher has been offering these words. Words are powerful. Words are life transforming. Words are shaping. They're just not letters on the page but they have the ability to cut to the heart, exposing joint and marrow, the scriptures do. And so we see these words of, the first part we see is words of wisdom in verses nine and 10. The second thing we see is words of transformation in verses 11 and 12. And then finally we see words of salvation in verses 13 and 14. Let's start with the words of wisdom. Ecclesiastes 12 verses 9 and 10. I'm going to read it. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. So we have this glimpse of the preacher's words, everything that we've read in the book of Ecclesiastes, and the preacher has sought not to waste any of them. That they would all carry weight, that they would all carry meaning, that they would all carry significance, that they would bring about teaching in your life. Teaching. Not just studying, not just filling our heads with knowledge, but they would be shaping for us. And these words are are words of wisdom. Right application for life. There would be something that we would be able to grab from and apply it to our life on a day-to-day basis. And the most powerful thing about it is is that's the, the power of the scriptures. Some people take the scriptures and they look at it at eye level because they think that they're equal to it, that their voice is just as authoritative as the word of God. Or, or maybe they take the scripture and they put it below their face, or maybe they even put it under their feet because they think that the word of God is not authoritative at all. But we, friends, are people that place the word of God right here. It's above us, ruling and reigning over us. This word is our life. Without it, we are undone. We need it like we need breath, like we need food and water. This word is our sustaining power. And listen to me, friends, don't be tempted to think otherwise. It is sufficient. It is sufficient. 
If this is all we have and there's no books that are written to help us understand it, if this is all God gives us, this is enough because Jesus also gave us the power of his Holy Spirit to allow this word to sink in to the dark cracks and crevices of our heart so that we might know him. So we might know him. This is his word written by him, spoken by him, and empowered by him to this day by the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful word through Ecclesiastes. These are the words of truth. That's why 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all of scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. That means you gain something. I mean, it's for your good. It's for your gain, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Here's why. That the man of God, you could even put the woman of God in that as well, may be complete, equipped for every good work. You have in these words everything that you need for this life, for the glory and honor of God. Go there. Let it drive you to your face before him. Let it compel you each and every day to live for him and drink in these words and eat these words like water and food because without it you're starving and dying and dead. These words are words of wisdom. Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. Some people think that, man, if I fall after the Bible, then like my life's over with. It's just done. There's no fun in that. It's not good. Jesus says quite the opposite. He says, these words I give to you for your joy. The preacher says that he gave us words for our delight. Delight yourself in the Lord is a command of Scripture. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. He'll give you joy. He'll give you passion. He'll give you strength. He'll give you enjoyment where it seems like there's none. Even at the bedside of Jeanette right now, there's joy because there's Christ and there's everlasting life. Believe it. Live it. Second part, words of transformation. Words of transformation. He says in verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings that they are given by one shepherd. There's an authoritative picture that the preacher gives to us when he uses the word one shepherd. We know in the book of John, that Jesus is the good shepherd, don't we? And we know that that good shepherd comes from not new, just simply New Testament teachings, but Old Testament teachings. If you read Psalm chapter 80, verse 1, it says that, that Jehovah, Yahweh, he is the shepherd over Israel. We know that in the 23rd Psalm, that he is the sheep that leads us beside green pastures and that he also restores our soul. That's the one shepherd that's giving these words. They are authoritative, and they're also meant to bring about transformation. They're not just, listen, 
You can get a self-help book at Barnes and Nobles today. You can leave this place, and if you want to do better with money, there's some self-help books for that, right? If you want to see what you're going to look like when you get older, there's an app for that. <laughs> if you want to find uh, some way to be a better gardener, there's a self-help book for that. There's myriads and myriads of books that are going to help you become better, but there's not books that are going to transform you from the inside out. There aren't books that can give you a new heart, but within this book is that power that can quicken life into your soul and transform you from the inside out. Oftentimes we think we've got to change from the outside in. In fact, some of that might be the temptation that you felt this morning. I don't think I should go to church because I'm not worthy. And so I'm going to do a better job at being a better Christian so when I become a better Christian, I can feel better about myself when I go to church. That's the completely wrong way of looking at it because let me tell you, friends, we're all jacked up and in need of a Savior. We're all in need of transformation today. And so if you come in broken, welcome, welcome. This, uh, I've said this before, it should say before you get in the fitnasium, no perfect people allowed, <laughs> right? Because as soon as you come in here, we all else have to leave because there's no perfect people in here. If we were perfect people, how would we need a perfect savior? But here are the collected sayings that are given by the good shepherd. They're meant to transform. It means they hurt. Uh, an author named Douglas Sean O'Donnell says they sting and they stabilize. That's what a goad was. A goad was a, a staff that was, that was used in order to get the oxen to go in the direction that the driver of the cart wanted it to go. And so it had a staff that was embedded with nails and it would inflict just enough pain to cause the oxen to go the right direction. God uses his word in such a way to do that. Sometimes it's painful. Honesty can be painful. But the scriptures are honest and thank God for that. It's not fake news like the rest of the world. The scriptures are honest painfully honest. But the scriptures don't leave us in our place of brokenness. The scriptures shape us and change us and mold us and transform us. In fact, the scriptures conform us into the image of God's perfect son, Jesus Christ. Listen, today we should leave this place having encountered God through his word, different people, because his word has changed us. We should leave this place different people. We should ask the Holy Spirit, God, bring this about in me. I need this kind of renewal. We're all in need of his transforming grace. But I also want to let you know in the light of that, that there's an author and pastor, his name is Matt Chandler, and one of the things he says regularly to his church, he says, it's okay not to be okay. M maybe you're here and you're like, man, I'm just not changing very quick. I don't even know if I'm changing at all. But it's okay not to be okay. It really is. You've come in here with problems. You've come in here with difficulties. You've come in here with the weight of your sin on your shoulders. And one of the things the gospel calls us to do is come as you are. It's not clean yourself up and make yourself better and then God will love you. But it's about becoming new in Christ and relying upon him. 
So it's okay not to be okay, but listen, there's another part of that saying. It's not okay to stay that way. It's not okay to sit in your vomit and think that's all right. And I use that word and it seems grotesque, but that's what we do when we sit in the middle of our sin. We sit in the middle of these pet sins that we try to protect and we won't allow God to touch them in the middle of our heart. It's not okay to stay that way. And this is not a pick yourself up and make yourself better. This is get on your knees and pray and ask God to help you because he will. He has the power to. You know, we have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And and here's what that means, that the power of the mighty God that created the Son, just think about the Son and how much power is in the Son. Man, if you were to get a million feet away from the Son, you would be burned up. But that power, that same power, that creative genius of God that created the universe is residing in you. So you can change. Because he's changing you. Because it's not about you. It's about him. And we could sing the famous song of Carrie Underwood, Jesus, take the wheel. I don't even know how it goes. I've got to get up to pop culture a little bit. And there's a warning here. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. (laughs) Um, There is lots of books out there. Lots and lots and lots and lots of books. I've got like three bookshelves full of books. And it's not even that many. And I won't be able to read them in all my lifetime. I'm not sure if I even want to read all of them. Some of them I just keep up there to make make you think I'm smart. I'm not. But there's a weariness of flesh that comes with the much study of things. That's why we're not about study. We're not about knowledge. We're about transformation. Do you know that every single day, if you were just to take the words that went on social media today, there would be 39 million books that would result of it. 39 million books from just social media that's written today. How's that for fake news? Do you know how many books are in the Library of Congress? 38 million. So every day there's enough books that are written just on social media to fill the Library of Congress. So not every word matters. In fact, that's a lot of vanity. That's a lot of emptiness. That's a lot of smoke and mirrors. That's why this book counts. Because this book by the power of the Holy Spirit, can change you, and it can change me, and it is. Oh, thank God that it is. And I love this, my son. There's something personal about, and I think that's why this carries a weightiness. This is the first time that we've seen this phrase in this book because it's meant to carry compassion and love and grace. Don't be filled with the wrong things. Don't let vexation fill your heart. Keep the main thing the main thing. And walk in the light of the Lord. Finally, there's words of salvation. Words of salvation. The the whole premise of this book is under the sun. Under the sun. Vanity. He uses these words in such a repetitive manner in order to cause us to, to, to see, to look for the difference. Something's different that he's writing. So when he does mention God, 
then it's shouting out to us, pay attention that we see God here, that we would follow God here, and we'd see these words are given to us for salvation. It's like I said in the beginning of the, the ser service, if God isn't real, nothing matters. There's no judgment. There's no right or wrong. There's just what you think and feel and want to do. And so we're just kind of like an animal. We just do what we want. And life and death, man, it just doesn't really matter. Let us eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. So let's just suck it up like a straw. And you can hear that last bit being slurped up into our vain hearts. But that's not the scriptures. If God is real, everything matters. And so every day, every moment counts. The tick-tock of time is about you being united to God and living for his plan and his purposes. That's why he says in verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Here you go. Pay attention. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. I, I, I took a look at all the phobias on the internet the other day. There are so many different phobias out there, things that I never knew were phobias. Fear of this. Let, let me just read a couple to you. If you have this phobia, I'd like for you to raise your hand. Let's just play a little game. Uh, acrophobia, fear of heights. Anybody? Anybody? Fear of heights? Yes. Yes. I see that hand. I see that hand. Uh, aerophobia, fear of flying. Anybody fear of flying? Fear of flying. There we go. Got a fear of flying back there. Um, so, uh, uh, arachnophobia, fear of spiders. More hands go up, right? Those little spiders. <laughs> How could they be so damaging to us? Um, <laughs> they're, they're ruining our hearts. Um, astrophobia. Astrophobia is the fear of thunder and lightning. If my dog could raise his hand, he would. <laughs> fear of thunder and lightning. There we go. We've got someone raising somebody else's hand. There you go. You're going to be in trouble later. Um, claustrophobia, I've got both hands up. Fear of confined or crowded spaces. Gosh, I have this like crawl space under my house. I will never go under there, ever. No way. Josiah? If I need you to go under the house, I'm sure you'll do it. Thanks, man. You're a true friend. And, 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 then, um, and then there's the one that's most famous for today, FOMO, fear of missing out. <laughs> yes, yes, all right. Um, there's really one fear that matters. And this is not a terror. This is a reverence and awe. Fear God. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Fear him. Remember the one who gave you life and breath. That our hearts would be laid bare and exposed before him and we would say to God, God, my life belongs to you. To fear God, it means that there's this focal point of life that's on him. It's like when you go in and get your eyes test and you see the eye chart. He is the big E on the eye chart. Everything else is under him. And if he is not your focal point, then you are not fearing God. It means that 
all of life is brought into conformity or proper placement under him. It means that your life is ordered rightly under God. This is not life under the sun. This is life above the sun. This is realizing that there's more to this life than what we see, but the unseen reality of a holy and majestic God is that what compels us to live for him. We're in reverence in awe of him. We understand that God is God and that we are not. We fear him. We don't tear before him. We don't cower before him. But we can confidently come before God and we can bow our knees before him because the God who made us is the God who loves us. Because life is not best done under the sun with the bright light, but life is best lived under the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Life under the sun, under Christ's rule and reign. Verse 13, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is why everything matters with God. If God is real, everything matters. If not, then, man, just forget about it. Live the way you want to live. No consequences. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter what you do to anyone else because, really, I mean, is this thing even real to begin with? It's all kind of just, it's, you know, it's just people, and there's 7 billion of them on the planet, and who cares if you hurt somebody's feelings? But, yeah, with God, we're made in his image. Imago Dei. And so when we sin against someone else, it's not just a sin against humanity. It's a sin against divinity. It's why we fear God. Douglas Sean O'Donnell, he says, think of it this way. On the day you were born, God hit the record button. And on the day you die, he'll hit the stop and rewind and then play. Every thought, every word, and every action will be judged by him. Oh, that's scary. Another pastor, Daniel Aiken, says, the book has, this book has longed for judgment because of the injustice in the world. But the problem for us is our part in the injustice of the world. God will set all things right. The wicked will not finally prosper and the righteous will not finally suffer. But the difficulty for us is that Ecclesiastes makes it clear we have failed to keep God's commands. Everyone has failed, including Solomon and his son. Within Solomon's lifetime, he went from being the wisest man on planet Earth to sanctioning the sacrifice of babies, all because he saw some hot foreign women he wanted to be his. Yes, Solomon was a great sinner, and we might try to assuage our guilt by saying, but, never had a thou but I never had a thousand wives. I think we could all raise our hands and say that's true. Still, you're not without guilt. You have your fantasies and your online history. Ecclesiastes ends by saying, even the secret things we think are hidden will see the light of day in judgment when we are completely laid bare and exposed before the holy God. That's frightening. That's frightening. 
there's a real truth here. And the truth says that without Christ, we're under condemnation. Unless there is another judgment that happens, we're under condemnation. And, And the beauty of the gospel according to Ecclesiastes is that Ecclesiastes points us forward to find resolve, just like all of the Old Old Testament. It points us forward. It gives us a promise. And then the New Testament shows us how the promise was fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's why you see the smoke and mirrors in in the paintings here, in this artwork, but behind it is the substance of the cross. It's because the cross takes away the sting of death The cross takes away the slanderous thoughts and words that we've said against others. The cross takes away the war that we have proclaimed against a holy and mighty God. The cross takes away the sting of abandonment that we feel from others. The cross takes away our parents who have rejected us. It takes the pains away. Yes, we still live in the reality of some of these sufferings, but the cross says that Jesus Christ bears them all. All the tears that we have shed, the the psalmist says, are in a bottle. God counts them. He knows them all. And the pains and the sins, they've all been counted for at the cross. It's called the imputed righteousness of Christ. It means that when you go before God at judgment and you have put your faith and trust and believe in King Jesus, it means that hell can't touch you because he was punished for you and his righteousness is counted as yours. So when you stand before the judgment of God, you stand not on your unrighteous works, but on Christ's righteousness. His righteousness is imputed or imparted unto you. He judges you like he judges his perfect son. Can I get an amen on that? That's good news. And that gives us a confidence that we say, I don't have to dread God, but there can be a holy fear of God that says, because of this, because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, I live for you. Because listen, Hell is a very real place. One man said it this way. He says, he says if you're living this life right now and you don't know Jesus, this is as close as you're going to get to heaven. He says, but if you're living this life today and you know Jesus, this is as close as you're going to get to hell. So in Christ, that's good news. In Christ, we receive that as God's victory for us. This is the gospel according to Ecclesiastes. It's not life under the sun, but it is living under the son, God's son, his only son, Jesus Christ. This past Friday, I was sitting on my couch and I was on, um, I think it was Twitter. And I saw that there was a pastor that I had followed as a young man that I really respected. I mean, just, uh, he was a young pastor as well. He may even be younger than me. And, and somebody I'd, I'd followed for a, a lot of my career as a pastor, I really looked up to. And um, his church was kind of caught into a scandal. And he was the pastor at the time. And uh, he, he, he resigned because 
he, he realized that there's this child sexual abuse that happened under his leadership, and he knew it was, I just got to resign. So he resigned, and later on, he went back to seminary and was going to get back into ministry. Um, but he kind of fell off the map, and then over the last few years, been reading different stories about books that he's written and wrote a famous book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Um, his name's Joshua Harris. Um, and uh, last week he announced that he was separating from his wife. And then um, this week he, he made another announcement and he said he didn't tell the whole story. He said the information that I left out of our announcement is that I've undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I'm not a Christian. Man, I read this and I said to Carrie, I said, Carrie, come here. You remember this guy. We need to pray for him. My kids were around and, and they saw we were perplexed. They could see that, man, our hearts were even weary just seeing that this had happened to this man that we've looked up to personally and his family. And um, next morning I'm sitting on the couch and I'm actually working on this sermon and Adeline, she plops down next to me and she says, Daddy, you know that pastor that you told me that doesn't love Jesus anymore? I said, yeah. She says, well, I prayed for him last night. And it just broke my heart. And it gives me hope. Because even in light of this man who is running in the other direction, there is a God who's pursuing after him through the prayers of my daughter. God's at work. And the unseen reality of the seen God will be made visible. It will be brought to light. And while today is still today, we can make the choice that says, I'm going to live for him. While today is still today, we could make that choice that says, I'm going to live for him. One of the giants of faith that I look up to is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a prolific church planter. He was the author of much of the New Testament. The Holy Spirit used him in a mighty and profound way. He says these incredible words that allow us to understand the perfect work of Jesus Christ. When he is writing one of his last letters to his, his son of the faith, Timothy, he isn't talking about all the amazing things that he's done. He isn't talking about the churches that he's planted, the letters that he's written. He's not even taking a list of all the people that have been saved under his ministry. But he's celebrating one thing. He says, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. I want you to know that the gun has fired and the starting line has been crossed by each and every one of us. But I don't know where you are on this race. Maybe you're limping. Maybe somebody's pushing you in a wheelchair. Maybe you're on the side wondering if you'll be able to finish. Let me tell you something that you can do right now. Jesus, help me. It's real simple. Jesus, help me. I need you. And guess what? It's not you that finishes the race. 
It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. He will see you through. And by God's grace, we'll surround the throne of heaven with a myriad of praises and we'll join in the song, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive wealth, honor, wisdom, and power for all times. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much that you are a God who's worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise, worthy of our adoration. And Lord, we cry out to you for help, God. Let us know that this race we've been running, our words that help us cross the finish line, the words of your book or words that you've given us, words of salvation. And Father, may our words back to you be the simplicity of our hearts. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. With our faces fixed upon you, God, we look to you because you are the great prize. Help us keep the faith. In Jesus' name, amen.